If you are in the UK, good evening. If you're in the US or Canada, good afternoon. Or if you're in Australia or Japan, good morning. On today's show, I speak to a guy who's worked for some of the biggest promotions ever. TNA, Ring of Honor, uh, 1PW, Rev Pro. I'm sure I've missed a lot on that list. Would I agree? Uh, I think we could just do the whole broadcast listing off the promotions. <laughs> uh, dude, I cannot wait to go. We've got loads to get through. So, But first, intern, roll the intro. Please welcome my guest, the one and only Joe Dabrowski. How are we? I'm feeling great. I appreciate the platform uh, that you're giving me and an opportunity to talk a little bit to, to all of uh, your fans, my fans, our fans, whoever may be out there. And uh, I'm just a loving life and uh, tackling each day and each adventure as it comes to me. And that's the thing in pro wrestling. There is never monotony. You never get bored. That is true, that is true. And obviously, I know you're a busy man, so I do appreciate, obviously, taking the time to talk to us. So, yeah, I mean, uh, busy week. Have you had a busy week? Uh, the, the busy week, uh, the busy part of the week hasn't happened yet. Um, there's always projects to do. I'm always working on something. But uh, I am, as we record this, about 13 hours away from leaving home for the weekend. And I'm going to be on an expedition to... Connecticut, Massachusetts, and then back down to the other side of where I am now in Pennsylvania, because I am uh, going on a little bit of a, let's say, archival footage expedition uh, to get some new content, get some new merch I'll be selling in my travels, and uh, I'm excited about that because one of my passions is uncovering parts of, of our great business that we all mm -hmm. love so much that, that have been kind of lost time. And, and maybe a whole new audience can appreciate it. And uh, I may be bringing some of those things this weekend to the Icons of Wrestling Convention at the ECW Arena on Saturday. I'll be on play-by-play -play for the Battleground event that evening, headlined by Matt Cardona, the <laughs> self-professed indie god himself, taking on Bully Ray in Bully Ray's house, the former Ooh. ECW Arena. So that'll be live on, uh, on Fight TV as well. So going to be a fun weekend. Of hours you're in a car ticks up to double digits in the course of a day or two it's testing but uh but it's what i signed up for there you go there you go obviously we just had matt cardona at one pw against will osprey what do you think to that match i loved it because you have two very polarizing individuals and i don't know if there's a fan you can walk up to that knows will osprey that knows matt cardona um on a consistent level that you can ask their opinion of and they're gonna say yeah he's all right <laughs> you either love them or you hate them um and they're both so good at doing both they're both so good at pushing buttons when they need to and they're both so good at showing you um what their value is and, and why they're here and uh 
the only time I'd worked with Will until 1PW had been uh, uh, the one time I was at Rev Pro. So uh, to me, it's a long time coming. Mm-hmm. Um, and Matt Cardona, I mean, we share a similar love of, of course, uh, memorabilia and action figures and things of that nature. And uh, he always knows how to keep his name in the headlines. So to me, that match was perfect. There you go. It's a great match. Go and watch it, people. Watch it back. It's absolutely amazing. So, yeah. So, obviously, today's show, we're going to obviously learn about, obviously about you. So, I'm going to reference, obviously, your About Me page because you've got absolutely loads of information on there. And the first thing that caught my eye was total matches called, as a commentator, uh, 7,018 of, from June 18th, 2022. I imagine that's a lot more now. <laughs> Yeah, well, that shows you how uh, time-consuming it is to update that number that I haven't done it in a year. Um, but actually, I just no, I didn't do it yet. But I, I'm in the process of doing it to get to getting the updated tally. What was that number again? It is seven thousand and eighteen. Okay, yeah, we are uh, we're we're rapidly on the road to eight k. Um, but uh, but I love it. I mean, it's how many people whether it's wrestler, referee, announcer, anything can say they've been involved in, in that many matches and, and run that many different scopes of variety. You know, I've, I've done the X division matches and the cruiserweight matches, and I've done rock and roll express in a high school in North Carolina in front of a bunch of Jim Crockett promotions fans. You know, I've done death match tournaments. I've done Lucha Libre. I've done Japanese style. I've done European style. If there's a style out there, I think I've touched at some point. But, uh, but yeah, and that is over the course of, at that time, uh, 19 and a half years, which is now 20 and a half years. Wow. Wow. So that's that's absolutely crazy. So, yeah, so obviously you started obviously in wrestling when you were 16. You went to see the Jerry the King Lawler versus Kamala. Talk about, obviously, that experience. When I was five or six years old, um, I was able to get my hands on a VHS tape of uh, what was called the Missing Matches series, where they would repurpose old territory footage of guys that now were WWF stars. And mm-hmm. I didn't know who Jerry Lawler was, but I knew he was beating up all the guys I watched on TV. Hulk Hogan and Macho Man and King Kong Bundy and all these guys. And one of the matches was Lawler versus Kamala. So, mm-hmm. of course, being a young kid and um, not to date myself, but obviously no YouTube, no Internet, no streaming. Um, you had physical media and that was all you had. Um, so I'm, I'm sure I would wear out those tapes time and time again. So I always had a soft spot for Jerry Lawler and Kamala. And, mm-hmm. and you know, 10, 11 years later, listening to the local radio station. And there's an advertisement for IWC Pro Wrestling, July 20th, 2002, in Cannonsburg, Pennsylvania. And the main event was Jerry Lawler versus Kamala. And sold, hooked. You know, I, I'd watched a little bit of independent wrestling when it was on television in the boom of the late 90s. I uh, attended one event as a little kid when I was about eight years old, but I didn't really follow the scene. Mm-hmm. But Lawler and Kamala. That drew me in, but all the other talent on the event is what kept me, because uh, that was my first time seeing Colt Cabana. That was my first time seeing Chris Hero. Um, that was my 
first time in a long time seeing guys like Christian York and Joey Matthews and Balls Mahoney and Little Guido and all the great Pittsburgh talent that I either remembered back when they were really young on TV or I was seeing for the first time. And to be there so close and to feel the energy, like this is uh, at Matt Cross, my first time seeing Matt Cross as well. This is the place I belong as a fan. Because mm-hmm. I was kind of disenfranchised with, with WWFE at the time. Um, TNA was just starting. Ring of Honor was just starting. There really wasn't that promotion to really dive headfirst into. Um, but this is where I belong as a fan. And this, this is my way into the business. How and when, I don't know yet. But this is the path I need to get on. Wow, absolutely. And obviously it says, after several months of following the promotion, a chance to get involved first down the approach when the high school you attended needed a fundraiser. Talk about that. Um, I was in my Spanish class. And it, it's so funny how integral that Spanish class became to my career based on me doing Lucha Libre now and, and, and the fact that... Um, that was the impetus of this entire thing because we were trying to to fund a field trip to New York to see, you know, uh, the, the local Hispanic uh, culture in that area. And I think go see a go to a museum, if I recall correctly. Um, and IWC had just done a fundraiser at another high school um, a few miles uh, away, probably. Uh, you know, 20 or 30 miles away for, I think maybe their football club or their athletic club or something Mm. like that. So I pitched the idea, Hey, I I am literally in contact with an entire event we can bring here at a very affordable price and, you know, low risk and potential for high return. And I basically middlemanned the communication between the wrestling promoter and my teacher. And next thing I know, there's a signed agreement. The school board approves of it and I'm selling tickets. And I'm hanging posters. And um, the I was still 17 at that point. I just turned 17 as I was doing this. So uh, State Athletic Commission says you can't really be involved in the event in a physical way until you're 18. So I couldn't like be a guest referee or a guest mm-hmm. manager and like that. Um, but having someone from the school involved is a plus. You know, it helps the, the local interest. So I don't know if it was my idea or the promoter's idea, but I wound up on commentary with a man named Jeff Gorman, who had done some early Ring of Honor and was basically the voice of Pittsburgh wrestling for for a number of years. And I don't mind telling you, that night I was awful. It was terrible because I had no idea what to do, how to do it. I was going in blind. But that got my sea legs under me and it, it gave me that rep for like, okay, this is how it feels. This is how it works. Now that I'm in it, here's all the stuff I should have done to prepare that I didn't. I'll be a lot better prepared next time. Uh, so the show was a success. We had 350 people there, which I think was better than the company was doing on average at the time. Mm-hmm. Uh, keep in mind, this is indie wrestling infancy. So, um, you know, a lot different than it is now. Um and that got my foot in the door and it got me talking and communicating with people in the company to where when they needed somebody to write website results, they thought of me and I started doing that. When they needed somebody to do 
written interviews with talent they thought of me and uh that also meant that i was in the loop next time they needed a commentator when somebody couldn't make it so about six or eight months later i kept uh filling in here and there doing odd jobs here and there and by august uh they were really hard up for a commentator all of the regulars weren't available um and i slipped into that spot and i gave it hell and i don't think i was polished i don't think i was great i think if I watched it now. I could critique the hell out of it, but it was enough for people to see something in me. And I've been sitting in that chair for IWC literally ever since. Wow, that's absolutely incredible. And obviously, this uh, match was it a headline by Punk as well, if I remember rightly. My first event, yeah, CM Punk and Jimmy Vegas for the IWC title. I was uh, I was so pumped to see CM Punk there because he was obviously the straight edge guy and. My town was a big drug community, and I, 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 I was so looking forward to CM Punk just reading everybody the riot act. But it turned out he was a fan favorite that night. And <laughs> my dreams were dashed, but, um, but yeah, Punk was there. But my, uh, uh, let's see, my seventh match I ever called was a CM Punk match. Wow, awesome, awesome! And then obviously you moved on to obviously one PW, which is obviously here in the UK. I mean, how did that all obviously start? Dumb luck. Most of my big breaks, it's dumb luck, it's timing, and it's just being ready for the opportunity. Because if you, if you had planned to do it the way I did it, it would have never worked. Um, but sometimes you just fall into these things. I, um, my graphics guy and my webmaster, Jesse the Mark, Jesse Forney, had a contact in the UK of somebody that was helping 1PW book local talent. So he had the ear of the promoter, Stephen Gauntley. And it was Stephen's first show. He was a novice promoter. He didn't know anybody or anything at that point. He was just learning on the fly. So when it came up to, well, who's going to be the commentary team? <laughs> I don't think there were any ideas. Um, but uh, through those channels, my name came across his desk and we spoke and um, he felt comfortable with it. In hindsight, probably a little too soon uh, because I think the story of early 1PW is too much too soon. Mm -hmm. But for me at the time, God, I, I don't know any better and I'm not going to say no. I'm 19 and someone's going to pay to fly me to another continent do what i love so um and from there i was able to be valuable as far as contacting talent uh mm -hmm. booking uh, the imports the americans um and lending whatever knowledge i could that i've been able to accrue over the past two years as limited as it was even at 19 years old and two years in i was more seasoned than the promoter so I was able to help in, in, in some ways, um, obviously not always, but it was a lot of learn as you go. And I will never forget being in front of 1,500 fans for the first time. I'll never forget being in such a star-studded locker room and being able to learn so much just being around those people. Um it was a, a dream come true for me to be able to do so young 
Uh, my only regret was it didn't last longer. Yeah. Yeah. And obviously, one PDB's obviously come back now. Obviously, they came back last year. What's that like for you, obviously, personally? Obviously, the company coming back. Surreal. It's something I never thought would happen. I, I, I mean, one PW had been through, unfortunately, some dark days after I had left the first time and the second time. Um, three or four different owners, uh, a lot of turmoil and drama and lack of trust. Uh, the brand was damaged. Um, a lot of people didn't trust those initials anymore, including fans who had been burned on advertised talent or the events run so long and they missed their train home or whatever the case was. Um, when you grow so fast, it's a great thing because you've got lightning in a bottle, but it also means all your mistakes are magnified and you don't have the luxury of learning anonymously. Mm-hmm. Where if I'm a rookie wrestler, I can just go to some hole-in-the-wall building and try things in front of 20 or 30 people. 1PW is failing in front of 2,000 people. 1PW is failing on the internet where everybody can report about it in a second. And as the owners changed and as the money losses escalated, it kept failing in more grandiose fashion. So I never thought the brand would be back. And I never thought Stephen Gauntley would be back because of the toll that took on his personal life and how long it took him to dig out of that hole. And you always hear the rumors every couple of years. Well, what if? Well, maybe. Well, we're thinking about this. But in wrestling, you don't believe it till it happens. Mm-hmm. And even then, you're about 50% skeptical. So for Stephen Gauntley to have reached out to me whenever it was now, a year ago. And for him to be in a completely different place mentally, professionally and personally than he was when we first did business together. And a desire to make things right because we had not ended on the best of terms. And a desire to make things right with others and make things right with the brand and an actual business strategy to make money rather than just throw everything against the wall and and hope it works. Um, I I can't tell you what went through my mind, being able to sit in this seat and voice a new twist of fate 17 years after the first twist of fate. Um, A lot of emotions, um, mostly positive. Um, and, and whatever was, was still lingering from, from the negative um, melted away when I saw the product and how energized the crowd was and how motivated the talent was. And like having 1,500 fans in your first event, it's not realistic. It shouldn't happen. It shouldn't work. But 1PW did it twice. That's special. Um, so to see the dome and, um, capture that energy again and and to be back there in person, like I was in April and actually see people I hadn't seen in 17 years and 
see Mark Andrews, who I hadn't realized I hadn't seen in 10 years, and walk through the Dome again and remember, oh, yeah, this was Jeff Jarrett's locker room in 2006. This is where the TNA talents dressed. And this is where the UK talents dressed. And this is where we set up the interview set. And this is where we had the press conference. And just a flood of memories back again. And it felt surreal because it's like a dream. You never thought you'd be back home in your home away from home, but, but I was there and uh, it felt right. And it felt long overdue. Wow. All right. I want to ask about obviously the press conference, obviously with the, the women, because obviously I was there as well. What was that like for you? Cause I remember like going, this, this was the first time obviously I've seen you obviously in person. And I'm like, wow, this guy's absolutely terrific. What was that like for you? Um, I mean this in a good way, but chaos. <laughs> um, because it's not easy hosting a press conference with seven different people, and six of them you're just meeting for the first time. Um, and I think several of them I had met about five minutes before we were out there. So to have all those moving parts in your brain and know, all right, this is this person. She's done this. She's been here. Um, a lot of gear shifting. Um, but I was glad to do it because that's something that I can't do remotely. I can't do at home. I can't do in post-production uh, to be able to be in front of, of the VIP fans and, and, and be with the talent and be able to, to feed off of their emotion and, and speak with them and understand who they are so I can better call their match and tell their story. Um, you know, and it almost reminded me of doing the, or I, I, would, I didn't do it, but I, I was in the, uh, the same room for it. The first twist of fake press conference in 2005 when Sandman crashed it. And Sandman just took the mic and, took over and started hosting and telling stories and taking questions and just uh, being Sandman, which is the best way to say that. Um, but uh, back to the, the original point, um, the UK has a, a, a vibrant and growing women's division that doesn't get the attention it deserves. Uh, the tag teams, the cruiserweights, the openweights. I mean, I think a lot of times people just looked at, the UK scene after NXT UK came in as an afterthought. And now we're seeing so many new talents come up and so many places and people rebuild. This is the time to shine. This is the time to show what the scene can do. And every single person I've met working there is passionate, is motivated, is talented, and to me is ready to take on the world. Absolutely, absolutely. So, obviously, I want to take a few steps back and we want to talk about the fall of 2007 for Pro Wrestling Ohio. Talk about that. Uh, after I had left 1PW, and again, timing, dumb luck, um, I wanted a new project to, to, to really dive into. And right around the time uh, I was leaving 1PW, uh, a local promotion in Cleveland, Ohio, had started on regional sports television throughout the state. And after a one-year run there, there were some differences with management, and there was a 
split, as there so often is in wrestling. And uh, the promoter of that company was not interested in maintaining the television contract. But a lot of the rest of us were. So me and the production crew and the uh, director of sales and some of the talent um, broke off and did our own thing and, and, and had a great six-year run on that uh, cable sports channel doing Pro Wrestling Ohio, which we eventually rebranded to Prime Wrestling as our, as our reach continued to grow. Um, but that was my chance to work with a young, anonymous, chubby, 19-year-old kid named Johnny Gargano. Not sure what ever happened to him. Uh, probably in a homeless shelter somewhere. <laughs> um, it was my chance to work with the young Gregory Iron and a young Matthew Justice and Bobby Beverly and Ricky Shane Page. And uh, so many names that came out of that part of the country. Uh, Jake Christ. Um, you know, guys like that who had huge runs ahead of them. Whether we're talking about 440, whether we're talking about getting contracts. Uh, whatever the case is. Um, and it was my chance to work more creatively, which I'd helped a little bit in in 1PW, but I was able to really take the reins in uh, PWO, Pro Wrestling Ohio Prime Wrestling, to, and again, it's understanding your talent. It's understanding the right positions to put your talent in to get the best out of them. And um, loved working with Johnny, loved working with Greg. We, we gelled so well and, and so naturally and did so many great stories on through the years and you can go through jimmy jacobs and zach gowan and Brody lee and uh, madison rain and uh all the great talent that, that, that came through that door over the years um we did on a shoestring budget barely able to get by barely able to make ends meet but again it's a lot of passionate people and it was a full circle moment for me too because the very first wrestler that, that I fell in love with back uh, on the undercard of Jerry Lawler versus Kamala in 2002 was Matt Cross. And Matt Cross lived in Cleveland, still does. And now he was my top star. So it just shows you how quickly things move in, in, in the wrestling business um, to be able to, to, to work with those guys on such a, a deep and close level. And um, all of those episodes are on my... Uh, my streaming channel right now, ProWrestlingLibrary.com. You can subscribe for um, a low, low price every every month and get over 500 hours of content, or you can rent the episodes individually. But we did 191 episodes, and no other project has had more of myself, my personal grit in it than that show. So I'm still so proud of it. And, you know, uh, uh, some of the things don't hold up as well. Some of the early production is a little rough. And... Some of the content it maybe wouldn't necessarily uh, uh, jive with audiences the same way it did back then. But the big things we did, I'm still so proud of, of, of the, the moments we were able to create with uh, guys. And gosh, with, with Johnny Gargano growing into my Hogan, my Austin, my Cena, you know, whatever analogy you want to use. Uh, Johnny would probably prefer I said, you know, my Shawn Michaels. But um, <laughs> how do you miss? I mean, Johnny was um, everything. Like, he, he, he could wrestle. He could talk. He could project bigger than he was. He could do the charity events. Um, 
he could be a good guy. He could be a villain. He can make you laugh. He can make you tense up. Johnny had range like no one else in that company had range. And for my money, with the exception of maybe a Corey Graves, maybe a Joaquin Wilde, who was also extensively part of PWO, but not even them, honestly. I think they both excelled in huge ways in their own. I don't know if either, either of them had the range Johnny did. So um, it was my pleasure to help give Johnny some of his first big TV moments. And anytime I see him today, it's it's I'm proud, but I'm not surprised because he always had it in yeah, yeah, absolutely. So we'll obviously fast forward to 2010 where you became a big part of obviously Ring of Honor. Talk about that experience. Uh, Jimmy Jacobs helped get me in Ring of Honor. And I'm forever indebted to him and Carrie Silkin and Adam Pierce and, and all the, the management crew around that time. Um, they didn't have a, a regular DVD commentator to work with Dave Prezak because Lenny Leonard had left after Dave Sapolsky left. So TV was Prezak and, and Mike Hogwood, and they had just announced uh, that Kevin Kelly would be heading up the pay-per-views, but they didn't have a month-to-month DVD guy, and Jimmy recommended me to Adam Pierce and Kerry Silken, and they gave me a shot, and I had a great nine-month run there doing that and working with uh, you know my first weekend in I call Tyler Black's world title win, now known as Seth Rollins. Um, first weekend in, I'm headfirst in the Kevin Steen El Generico rivalry. And who would have thought 13 years later they're still inseparable? Um, you know, I, at that point, I was 24, still very young, still nowhere near my prime. Um, but eventually they decided to consolidate those announced teams. And have it be Kevin and Dave and eventually Kevin and Nigel. So uh, it became more of a case of me filling in when when needed once or twice a year. I had that uh, uh, late era Undertaker schedule. I just show up once a year, do my thing, leave. Don't see me again the next year. Um, but uh, I, was, I, was, I was grateful for it. Uh, and I really wasn't regularly around again until Kevin left. And then Ian Riccoboni bumped into the Kevin chair. And then I bumped up into the Ian chair, which was doing Future of Honor in 2017, where I could work with the young talent, um, you know, like uh, uh, Cheeseburger and Eli Isom and Brian Johnson and all the guys that are coming out of Monster Factory and out of the ROH Dojo and uh, just the young prospects around the country. It's, it's how I first worked with Luchasaurus and Chris Bay and uh, Griff Garrison and so many guys have gone on the cool things. So, um Ring of Honor was was an important part uh, of my journey because it was the first national promotion that believed in me and took a chance on me. And uh, while I was still a little young for my first run, um, I'm very proud of that body of work. Um, Working with Steve Carino was a night off. Steve is so easy to play off of, and he's such a great character. Um, Can't say enough good things about Steve. Um, And, you know, Prezak was great. Uh, you know, I, nothing but love for, for everybody I worked with at Ring of Honor. And um, it's got a special place in my heart, man. Hammerstein, Ballroom, 
New York City, my first time working in New York, uh, the Brooklyn Cyclones field in, in, in uh, Brooklyn, New York for, for baseball, or, or uh, uh, field of honor is what I call it, actually, field of honor. Uh, you know, uh, to ECW Arena, to, to Center Stage in Atlanta, there's so many historic venues I was at as far as a ring of honor. But at that point, I was just struggling to keep up and struggling to, okay, the quality of the wrestling's up here. Maybe on or out here. How do I get as close to here as I can get? And uh, I gave it hell. And I'm just thankful that uh, they believed enough in me, uh, much like IWC so many years ago. Ring of Honor believed enough in me to keep me on that radar and keep me coming back. Absolutely. Absolutely. So obviously in 2013, you obviously a content producer. Now you worked on the title, The Montreal Theory. Now some of the guys on this channel actually are big Bret Hart fans. So I know they might be listening to this a little bit. Well, uh, Montreal Theory, I was my attempt at capitalizing on the passion people have for conspiracy theories. And unfortunately, with the way the world has gone over the past three to four years, I don't think being a conspiracy theorist is necessarily as fun and creative as it used to be. Unfortunately, a lot of people have, have weaponized that and used it for a political agenda and used it to um, just say some really nonsensical, crazy, out-of-this-world stuff. And I don't subscribe to the type of conspiracy theories that think that we're, you know, there's lizard people among us and um, all of these weird political talking points that are just based on blind speculation. But my conspiracy theories I enjoyed was, you know, Hey, can we scientifically prove we landed on the moon? Hey, uh, you know, JFK. Hey, crop circles. Like things like that, that that you can analyze and say, well, I mean, that's an interesting point based on that evidence. But I read this right here, and then you can see this video clip here. Um, Jesse Ventura had his show that dealt with conspiracy theories. And uh, I was always intrigued by the conspiracy theory. What if Montreal and the screw job wasn't real? What if it was a premeditated plan between Brett and Vince or between Brett and Vince and Sean? Um, what if it was thought out six months in advance? What if it was thought out six hours in advance? Do any of these theories make sense? Which one's more plausible? Are any of them plausible? Um, are any of them possible? And what we did was we retraced basically the 18-month stretch of time between WrestleMania 12 and the Survivor Series in Montreal. And we retold the story. Here was the timeline of what everybody was doing. And now let's take that timeline and let's play with it a little bit. Let's twist it. Does it make sense for something to be happening beneath the surface? And there were people I interviewed that were skeptics. And thought Brett was in on it. Steve Carino being the most notable. And there were others we interviewed that thought, no way, not possible. And all we did was give them both a platform and we let the viewer decide what they think. <laughs> and I had so many people since then say, thank you so much for making that because um, I don't believe Brett was in on it. But, but man, that was intriguing as hell to think about. Or I never thought Brett was in on it. So I listened to some of your theories on here from some of your panel. 
Now I think he was. Um, and there's a morality lesson here that, that applies to the real world as far as ask questions, gain knowledge, and form an intelligent opinion based off of that knowledge. Um, don't blindly speculate. Don't um, recklessly speak out of turn about what you feel might be true or hope might be true. There's a pragmatic, logical way to gain information. And uh, people can see it to this day, prowrestlinglibrary.com, uh, on my streaming channel, or uh, DVDs at joe-dombrowski.com. I do ship internationally, but it's not cheap. Um, but yeah, I had a lot of fun making it. I made a lot of mistakes because it was my first, and I would do it a lot differently now. But I was very intrigued by the subject matter, and it was a huge success. And if it hadn't been, then anything I had produced in-house since then might not have happened. So I'm very thankful for Montreal too. Yeah, and I, obviously before we came on the air, I was looking at some of the products, and the two which caught my eye was the missing matches one, one from AJ Styles, and I think it was Samoa Joe, the other one as well. I thought, that's pretty interesting because these obviously matches out there which fans don't get to see, do you know what I mean? And I stole that uh, missing matches name from the VHS series I had as a kid where I watched Jerry Lawler versus Kamala. So it all connects, you can see. Um, but yeah, I mean, and, and all, I, I would say 95% or more of everything on those AJ two sets and the one Samoa Joe set are matches I called. So this is just content I have sitting in my personal collection that wasn't doing anything. And so few people had ever seen it. Because maybe the local independent promotion sold it. Um, maybe like a high spots or something like that carried it. But again, pre-streaming, pre-linear uh, internet channels, pre... Well, YouTube was still around. It was growing, but you weren't putting as many free matches on there as people do now. Um, so this has an audience. And uh, between the Q&As and the interviews that we added on as well. Um, and the fact both were and still are prominently on television. Uh, to me, it was a can't miss. I, I want to do more like that um, later on down the line. Because now I've got a nice library of Lee Moriarty matches. And Trey Miguel matches. And things of that nature. And, and their stars continue to rise. But. Yeah, it was a lot of fun digging back in. And again, I was young and I was green and some of my stuff's kind of rough listening back to it. But AJ and Joe were always quality competitors. And if you're a fan of both, there's no way in this day and age you can have all their matches. So there's something on there new for everybody. Yeah, definitely, definitely. So we'll also fast forward to 2016. You returned to regular booking and producing live events under two brands. PCW and yeah, that's yeah, PCW. Premier Championship Wrestling was my return to producing and booking in Cleveland. I had left in 2013 after uh, the, the PWO TV run had, had ended. And uh, it was a former fan of that program that reached out to me and wanted to promote shows and wanted me on board. And I was skeptical at first because. Again, it's very challenging. It's very trying. It takes a lot out of you. To me, it's the most mentally exhausting job in wrestling and most time-consuming. 
Um, but as time went on, it felt right. And it was my chance to work again with Matt Cross and right before he got signed, Johnny Gargano. Um, and a whole new crop of talent coming up from the Cleveland and the Pittsburgh and the surrounding areas. Like Wardlow, Lee Moriarty, uh, Atticus Coger, who's blown up so big uh, doing th- doing the deathmatch scene. Um, Zoe Sky, uh, Ray Lynn, who's now on Women of Wrestling. You know, Trey Miguel, Myron Reed, uh, Ace Austin. You know, the list goes on and on and on of talent that was able to pass through uh, Cleveland and work underneath me. And we didn't have TV. It was a lot smaller scale. And um, rather than write television, my goal was prepping talent for the next step. Taking the young guys and girls and putting them in situations they weren't normally in. Um, Hands-on promos, longer story arcs, um, things that brought out their timing, their drama, their facial expressions, things that you don't get on a normal independent promotion. But I'm going to look for and I'm going to make sure you have. Because one day you're going to be in front of a big TV company and you're going to feel comfortable doing this because I made you uncomfortable doing it now when you didn't want to. And um, I take no credit for anybody beyond maybe taking them and turning them a little bit in this direction, giving them a little nudge where they need to go. But I would like to think a lot of those guys and girls that have found bigger success, at least that mindset kicked off um, doing stuff under the premier banner and thinking, well, it's more than just the live crowd. It's more than just the match. Let's expand my horizons and really see what else is out there. Wow. Yeah, absolutely. So obviously now since 2020, you're part of obviously MLW. Talk about obviously how you went into MLW. I knew my time at Ring of Honor was over. Um, When COVID hit, my job basically got eliminated because my job was hosting Future of Honor. And now that they're doing closed set tapings and talent has to quarantine for a week, um, they're not doing extra stuff. They're doing the bare minimum to produce television and getting out. Um, So I was on the sidelines and I did not work. My last Ring of Honor event was February 2020. And finally, I decided time to move on in mid-2021 because there's there, there's no there's nothing for me here. And I don't know if that's because management maybe only saw me in a certain light or because the resources just weren't available to have a spot for me that was larger, either one. Um, there was no upward mobility. So, um, and I was not under contract, so there was nothing beholding me there. So I reached out to uh, uh, a few different people. And it's actually Kevin Kelly that suggested that I talk to MLW. Um, and Kevin's hunch, or whatever he had heard the grapevine proved true, 
Um, because Court Bauer, I think, had heard me do Triple Mania before for AAA. And obviously, he has a very obvious, deep uh, lucha presence in his broadcasts. And I think we had maybe talked in maybe we talked in July, and I was signed in August to start in September, and then on the TV show regularly by October. And I've been there uh, ever since, uh, almost two years now. And it's where I wanted to be, but again, everything's connected, right? Everything mm-hmm. is um, part of the journey. Doing episodic TV in Cleveland for six years on, at PWO, not just booking, but hosting it. I understood what was needed. I understood. All right, we got to cut to break. All right, we got to plug what's still to come. All right, we have to make this palatable for a casual audience that may just be tuning in for the first time. Because I already thought that way for six years because I had to. So that helped the transition into doing television be a lot more seamless than if you brought in a guy who had just done standalone independent shows. And Rich Bocchini, a dear friend of mine, loved working with him. Matt Stryker is the only announcer I've worked with in three different countries now. So it's great to be reunited with him uh, weekly at this point. MLW was where I wanted to be all along because it was doing episodic television on a big scale and being able to tell those stories and reach an audience the same way the announcers that I grew up watching reached me. So very happy with MLW and very happy with the product because to me, it's not just hybrid styles, but it's a hybrid of so many great things about pro wrestling because you've got your high-end production elements that – a show of the day needs, but it still hasn't lost its edge and its grit that people may remember from ECW or the Attitude Era or Mid-South. And it's got Lucha Libre and it's got Japanese Strong Style and it's got the big muscle heads, but it's got athletic muscle guys. It's not the lumbering big men of the past. And it's got the middleweights who can move lightning fast. And it's got the generational talents like Davy Boy Smith Jr. and obviously the Samoan SWAT team. Uh, toward that family tradition is very prevalent. So to me, MLW borrows from everybody and everything. And as a result, what you get is something very unique unto itself. Oh, wow. Absolutely amazing. That's unbelievable. So a couple of fans got the chance to obviously ask some questions, and I've got a couple here. So Shane Webster sent obviously two questions, so I'll do the first one. First was, what's your fondest memory of the original 1PW? Um, I'll tell you my most vivid memory first. My most vivid memory was Abyss chokeslamming Alf Herman through uh, a flaming thumbtack-covered table. And I had never been a part of something with more energy, more chaos. It was like the moment was overwhelming. There was just so much going on. And I'll never forget how I felt. Um... My fondest memory, first and foremost, are the fans. I know that's that's cliche. And, oh, yeah, the fans, yay. No, I'm, it's not a cheap pop. I'm really saying this. Because um, I had never been ringside surrounded by that many people who were that wrestling star and that excited for everybody and everything in front of them from reacting to, to the dangerous moves like that to singing along with AJ Styles' theme song to staying hot and energetic for four or five hours because we ran 
so freaking long every time. Um, and beyond that, just the young talent I was able to interact with. And hey, Corey Graves' first ever international booking came through us. I met Spud, Drake Maverick, uh, through 1PW. And immediately he became my favorite talent because not just because of what he did in the ring, because of what he did up here, because of his understanding and grasp. And you look at him from TNA to WWE to anywhere. He has embraced every role. He's overachieved every time. Mm-hmm. And he has created jobs for himself if they didn't exist. And I'm so proud of him and have so much respect for him. Um, Pac is another one. I met my last trip over there, the man that gravity forgot. And it's so wild to see what he's done and how far he's come since then. Um, Referee Andy Quilden, who went on to be the Rev Pro promoter, I met in my first run there. So seeing where those guys are now is such a trip. But uh, nothing jumps out more than just the crowd being on top of everybody and everything and them being on fire for almost everything we did. A second part of his question was, what's the UK wrestling scene like compared to the US scene? Um... At the time, I would say a lot more undiscovered talent because back in the day, U.S. fans really didn't know anybody unless their name was Johnny Jody or Doug. And fast forward to now, um, between, of course, the obvious choices like your Will Ospreys and your Zack Sabre Juniors, but on down to Leon Slater um, and Mark Haskins and Car Noir, and all these guys who are, are starting to get out there and, and, and find brand new audiences. Um, you know, I, I haven't been in the trenches of the UK scene like I have the US to tell you, oh, how political it is, or how, um, you know, how much drama there is, or, you know, the difficulty of, of getting booked for, or traveling from town to town. But I can say that the one biggest similarity is the passion all the talent has and the uh, fact that there's so many that you feel is right on that cusp, ready to break out, or has had that little taste of maybe NXT UK or Impact, and they're ready for a bigger run now. Um, everybody's there for the right reason, right? To, to steal mm-hmm. the show and... To, to absolutely kill it in their match and, and, and continue to grow. And uh, I feel more energy in the UK because I think the US is a little more oversaturated. Um, and at the same time, I feel like that drives talent more because maybe there's a little bit less opportunities. Uh, there's more now than there were um, because, again, the world's a lot smaller. Mm-hmm. But um, the first thing I think of is just how much talent is there and how much talent from there i'm going to be watching on television in the next three years wow amazing i mean so one final question is those who begin to wind down you've had an amazing career obviously 20 years 20 and a half well yeah 20 years what's left for joe to prove to do should i say <sighs> there's always a next and if there's not, you get complacent. 
And one of the things I'm most proud of is how I've been able to diversify myself. Where I'm not just making money doing one thing. I am a commentator. I am also a ring announcer and a voiceover artist and a producer and a booker and a merchandiser and a content creator and a, uh, a restorer of lost footage and so many things I've been able to do. Uh, and so many of those jobs will never be done. There's always going to be new footage to find. Um, who would have thought that the Heartland Wrestling Association, WWF house shows were right under my nose. The Brian Pullman Memorial shows that had been mythical for 20 years were at my grasp. Um, but they were, thanks to Les Thatcher. And now they're on ProWrestlingLibrary.com for the world to see. Uh, who would have thought some of the stuff I put on my YouTube channel? That I don't even know what the hell it is, but I've had it in my collection. Um, I can give new light to. Territory footage from the 1970s, 8mm reels, all this stuff. Um, there's more projects I'm working on. There's more projects of footage I have in hand that no one's ever seen, that people have wanted to see for a lot of years. And I'll be the one to bring it to them. Um, <laughs> not in the timeline I've wanted to, um, because of schedule and travel and mental health and a lot of reasons. But it's still going to happen um mlw still has to grow and if my future long term is an mlw i would love to be there and grow with it um if my future somewhere else then we'll cross that bridge when we get there um but my goal has always been to be as financially solvent as possible doing what i love and only what i love um because if you live life on your own terms I think that's the key to happiness and that's the true definition of freedom. So I've spent 20 years building a foundation and building a house. And now the next 20 years, hopefully we keep adding to that house. We keep adding floors. We keep adding rooms. We keep adding luxuries. And that can be a metaphor for anything you want, whether it's the next project, the next booking, the next flight, the next state, the next country, whatever it is. But as long as there are stories to be told and there are fans that are ready to hear them and learn from them, whether it's the 18-year-old uh, 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 Leon Slater coming up now or whether it's something that happened in 1971 that everybody's forgotten about or anywhere in between, I want to be there to tell that story. I want to be there to put my name on it. And I want to be there to go down in history with that moment enhancing it for the audience making it as good as it can be and that's an amazing thing to end on wow joe thank you so much for obviously taking the time to talk to us before we do our outro is there anything you want to plug my friend i want to plug everything <laughs> go for it we're going to be live on fight plus on saturday july 8th for mlw never say never it's our first live special since i've been in the company our first live special post-covid alex hammerstone defends the world title he's held for two years against the Battle Riot winner, Alex Kane. We've got the Samoan SWAT team against Ricky Shane Page and Akira for the tag team titles. Timothy Thatcher is going to be there against Tracy Williams in a, a scientific dream match. Uh, we're going to have a, a uh, interpromotional matchup as Delmi Exo 
puts the MLW featherweight title against the WXW women's champion, Ava Everett, and a whole lot more. And then a week from then, on Saturday, July 15th, I'm doing Triple Mania 31 Tijuana, El Ijo Del Vikingo versus Kenny Omega, the rematch. We all saw Omega win on Dynamite. Omega's a former mega champion. He had to forfeit when he got hurt. When he lost the AEW world title, Vikingo won the vacant title. He's held it ever since. Vikingo and Omega have never fought for that title. But it's happening live July 15th. Triple A, Triple Mania, Tijuana. Both those events will be on Fight TV. And you can follow me on Twitter at Joe underscore Dombrowski. Instagram at Joseph underscore Dombrowski. Or pick up a DVD at joe-dombrowski.com or my streaming channel at prowrestlinglibrary.com. Support what you want. Support with your dollar because that's how we spread what we love and appreciate about pro wrestling the most. Positive energy. So please feel free to check any of those out. I'll be a part of them in some form or fashion. There you go. There you go. That's all from me. Don't forget, Wrestling with the Paranormal is back tomorrow. Magical Wrestling is back on Saturday. And of course, All Wrestling Wrestling Show on Sunday. That's all from me. Joe, thank you so much again. Don't forget to like, share, and subscribe. We'll see you on the next one. Magic Man out. <laughs>